Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. So I greeted the 8 o'clock service by saying, good morning, frozen chosen. <laughs> but, but the, yeah, it's a very old joke, you know, but um, <laughs> the temperature's gone up a bit, so what should I call you? Warm and willing? So good morning, warm and willing. Amen. The last time I preached here was the week before Pentecost, in preparation for Pentecost. And uh, what I spoke about then was how Pentecost symbolizes the birth of the church, how the Holy Spirit came and inhabited this new temple of His, the new, and as Jesus had walked among the people during His earthly lifetime, so God the Holy Spirit now walks among the people of this world in and through the church. And I also spoke about the need, therefore, for us to be filled with His Spirit so we can go out and walk among the people of our world and to minister to them. Today I want to bring one other aspect of Pentecost, just to maybe round it off. And it's, we have to go back for that to Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11. So here's Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Just listen to this. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, and the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon and then it lists a few others. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Hebrew language only has consonants. It's got no vowels. So that means single words can be interpreted in many different ways. So some of the passages from the Old Testament sometimes lose something of their original intent. But fortunately for us here, there's a thing called the Jerusalem Targum. It's a, a commentary on the Old Testament scriptures going way, way, way back. It's a, a Jewish one. And it interprets this passage and, and retranslates it for us as follows. It says, Nimrod was a powerful in hunting and wickedness before the Lord. For he was a hunter of the sons of man. And he said to them, Depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. Nimrod was a rebel in the face of God. Historically, he was probably the first slaver on the face of the earth, taking people and nations into slavery and then saying, Now bow the knee before me, Nimrod, my judgments, and depart from this God that you have been worshipping. Now, where have we heard sort of similar words to that in the scripture? Oh, yes. Garden of Eden, right? Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent, and what does he say? Listen to me, not to God. Obey me, not God. God just wants you to be slaves, he says. He wants you to tend his garden. No, if you'll just reach out your hand and take what is rightfully yours, the knowledge of all things, then you will be like God. Meanwhile, he was the one who was wanting to bring them onto his side because he wanted to be like the Almighty. So let me read to you what happened at the Tower of Babel. Because the same serpent, the same satanic figure, the same Lucifer, comes later in the form of Nimrod, in the person of Nimrod. And he gathers the people of the world together and says, Now build me a tower 
whose top is in the heavens, so I can ascend and be like the Most High. Here's the story in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. I'll read it to you. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used bricks instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages, so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. It talks about Babel as meaning confusion. It's because the Hebrew word for confusion sounds very similar when you actually speak it to the word Babel. But the language of that area wasn't Hebrew. The language of Babylonia was an ancient language called Akkadian. And in the Akkadian tongue, Babel means gateway to God. This is what they were trying to do. Build a staircase to the heavens so that he, Nimrod, could ascend and take the place of the Almighty. In the early 19th century, a man called Lieutenant General Chesney did some archaeological digs in, around Babylon. And what he found was the evidence of a stepped pyramid. They're called ziggurats. A ziggurat is a pyramid, but instead of smooth sides, it has stepped sides. So from the three different sides, or the four different sides, depending on the pyramid, it looks like a staircase that can be ascended. He found at the top of it, it was flat. It didn't have a capstone. And instead of a capstone, it had the remains of a temple. And on the ceiling of that temple was re what remained of a depiction of the zodiac, the signs of the stars, of the starry hosts, of the gods of the heavens. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, he writes this, and it captures exactly what is taking place here. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the uttermost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. The story of Babel is all about a satanically inspired leader trying to bring his people into absolute rebellion against God, to give him their allegiance, and to ascend to be like the Most High. He wanted to be God. It's always been his aspiration. He's tried from time, eternity for this. And this is the story 
of Babel. And it brought judgment upon him. And it brought judgment upon the people of the world. About 3,000 years later, Jesus, truly God, did ascend from earth to the heavens. And 10 days later, he sent God the Holy Spirit down into the world to build a new temple. Not built with baked bricks, but with living stones. Not built in Babylon on top of a stepped pyramid, but in Jerusalem, in the upper room. Because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with fire and wind and birthed the body of Christ on earth, birthed the temple of the Holy Spirit. And 120 people were its first stones. And it started to rise, not in curse, but in blessing. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel, where there was curse and judgment and scattering. Pentecost is blessing and gathering. Where there was the striking down, Pentecost is the raising up of a wondrous thing on the face of the earth. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. The disciples, when they received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the first thing they did was they poured out of that upper room, out into the streets, and they proclaimed the glory of God in a heavenly language, heavenly tongues. The language of heaven came to earth in that sense. The people heard it in their own languages and said, what is this? And that day, 3,000 people heard the proclamation of the gospel of salvation and were saved and baptized. And by the way, if you just do the sums, there were 11 apostles at that time. You know, the one of the 12 was gone, Judas. Do you think 11 people could have baptized 3,000 people? Just work it out. Impossible. But 120 people could. Every one of those spiritful believers extolled God and got immediately busy with building his church and bringing people in to this new temple, this new body. So now I'm going to say something which I believe is really key to us and key to our understanding of this aspect of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples, they went out. They were empowered from above and they went out. They went out. We, when we receive His same Spirit, must go out. It's an outward thing, the Gospel. It's not an inward, hold it to myself, keep the blessing thing. It's a reversal of the curse. It's a bringing back the nations into one people, one tongue, one God, one church. And today, in our day, God continues to bless the world through the church. According to, I think it was the 2019 World Census, the, the people who called themselves Christians, who said, you know, on the census forms that they are Christian, numbered over 2 billion. On the day of Pentecost, it went from 120 to 3,000. About a week later, it went from 3,000 to 5,120. And now... 
It's about 2 billion plus. The church is growing across the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit is pouring out His love and blessing in the name of Jesus has been raised up. Okay, so now I find a story like the reversal of Babel is interesting. And personally, because I'm a Bible student, I, I find it quite inspirational. And I read things like this, I say, wow, you know, this is so cool. God is awesome. Look at the detail with which he reverses the curse with the blessing. I mean, talk about connecting the dots. I can look and say, wow, look at that. Compared to that, compared to that, look at that. But what's in it for us today? What do you and I, what are we supposed to do with a story like this? How do we put it to practical use in our lives? Well, for me, the lesson that dominates the story of Pentecost versus Babel is that we, the Spirit-inspired, infilled church of Jesus, need to emulate those first disciples and pour out into the world the rest of it is interesting, but that is absolutely vital to understand. We're called to go. We're drawn to go. So that the world may be brought back into a one person, one language, one spirit, one God, one word, one church. I'd like you to hear what Jesus said. These are his words concerning this. Mark chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let us go somewhere else, said Jesus, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Note that. He's telling us his mission statement. That is why I've come. And then it goes on and says, So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. John 6, verses 38 and 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's his mission. John twelve forty six, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Okay. Surely then, we who are Christians, Christed ones, followers of God the Son, followers of Jesus Christ, surely his mission is our mission? Is it not? Here in this church, we've, uh, we've operated with an acronym. The acronym is RODES, R-O-A-D-S, and it's become part of the very DNA of our church. And RODES stands for the following. Relationship, outreach, anointing, doctrine, and structure. RODES. That if those five are abundantly in evidence, then the church will be healthy and growing and extolling God and being the body of Christ in its little place. The O stands for outreach. And the story of Pentecost vis-a-vis -vis Babylon is the story of outreach. Outreach. At Babylon, they were scattered. Through us now, 
they gathered. I want to apply what Jesus said in those three texts I've just read to you to the O of Rhodes, to the outreach. So we can start to grapple with the practicalities of this. It, it means if we apply Jesus' statements that our mission is to bring light in the darkness. That's our mission. And that means not being positive about the things that are happening in our nation, for instance. It's quite difficult at this time to be positive and gung-ho about all that. But being positive about who we are and who God is and what our calling is and what the true light of life really is and the way that every single person can have hope and joy and an eternal future and positive about the things of God and the future of the church. We can be positive about the church. So many people are oh, so negative about churches. I hear people saying, oh, Jesus is fine, you know, but the church is, I've had so many bad experiences. <laughs> the church is the body of Christ. Love one and love the other. So we can get enthusiastic about that and positive about that. Second part of his mission was to teach truth. We can teach truth. Now, the way we teach truth is, is through preaching. Some of us are called to preach. We can do it through um, what this church also handles, this cross-cultural training. We've for many, many years been training pastors all around Africa, actually, and, and beyond, certainly beyond the borders of South Africa, to learn to be good pastors, to grow churches. We teach them roads, and we teach them all sorts of other stuff. And we teach them Jesus-centeredness. We can do that. Truth is the Word is a ministry that I've been involved in for, for a long, long time now. and give most of my time to in my retired years. And that's all about restoring truth. That's all about getting truth out in the form of videos and talks, sermons, podcasts, and articles. You can, you can bring truth wherever you are and whatever your circle of influence is. You can bring the truth of the gospel, the truth of God into your workplaces into your schools, into your families. We are truth talkers and truth bearers. If there's one thing that Jesus said repeatedly, it is, I tell you the truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Third, mission was through raising up the name of Jesus. And we can certainly do that. We can raise up the name of Jesus now, you know what? I'm talking here not so much about Bible bashing as I'm about witnessing. Frankly, I get irritated with folk who corner other folk and say, you're a rotten sinner, let me tell you. Bang with the Bible across the left ear. And quoting a whole bunch of scriptures from a book that they don't even acknowledge is, is inspired. You know, the unsafe folk. But that's, that's not raising up the name of Jesus. To raise up the name of Jesus is to witness to who he is, who he is to you. What's happened in your life because of him? What is about doing today? And of course, you do that from a thoroughly biblical basis. Of course, you're bringing all of your understanding of his word to bear. But witnessing is the raising up of the name of Jesus. And then we can exercise outreach through ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's not only in the church. We mustn't just try and restore the gift of the, of the Spirit to the church. We must take those to the people who really need it most. If there's somebody out there who has 
desperate need of wisdom, we can pray and say, God, fill my mind with your divine wisdom. I can speak wisdom into this life. Prophetic words of what God is doing in their life. Bringing them gifts of healing for the sick and downtrodden. We can do that. Guys, if you are in any doubt that what I'm saying is true, just refresh yourselves by reading again the Great Commission of Jesus. I'm not going to read it because I have short on time, but, but here it is. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Most of you know it off by heart. And add to that the other version of it, which is in Mark 16, verses 15 through 18. And you'll hear from the Lord himself again the very things that I'm talking about now. Guys, it's so easy during these time of lockdown to become so defensive and so inward. You know, I can almost see some thought bubbles popping up. You know, the ones that go, and they hang in the air, over heads saying, yeah, God. yeah, Chris. <laughs> Newsflash, COVID. You know, we're all locked down. We, we batten down the hatches, etc. Does that mean we can do nothing? No. Does that mean that we are a slave to our circumstances? Surely not. Surely not. But it's easy for us to become defensive. It's easy for us to take what little resources we have and put them into self-protection. It's very easy. I guess very human, right? Provide for ourselves and our families. Make sure we've got enough and the people we know have got enough and so on and so forth. But that's not outreach. We lose sight in these times of the fact that human need is not their basic need. They do need warmth. They do need blankets. They do need bread. But beyond that, they need the bread of heaven. They need something that will make an eternal, everlasting difference. Tomorrow they will be hungry again. Yes, of course we must feed. We must feed every poor people we see and have within our circle of influence. We must clothe them and keep them warm. Of course, that's part of what we do as a people of God. But always from the basis of Jesus. Always by explaining to them something more than the bread, that there's one who stands behind it. There's one who motivates us to give. And his name is Jesus. So the question before us, guys, is how can we break free from bondage to our circumstances? and find innovative and inspired ways to do as Jesus did in the world. We, we must. We can't go on like this. We must stop and take stock and say, yes, I have these restrictions, and yes, I've got to be careful with my health. Of course, of course, of course. But I must think of a way that I can break through this. There must be a way that I can reach people somehow. There must be a way that I can extend the glory of God to people somehow. There must be a way that I can minister to people in the power of the Spirit somehow, through some means, through some way. How can we do that? I want to give just two suggestions this morning. Firstly, you know, we can first recognize that outreach is not limited to evangelism. And evangelism isn't limited to formal presentations and gospel tracts. Outreach is more. It's the witnessing and the sharing of the life of Christ with people in all its manifest forms under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, outreach is an outward orientation. It's got to start with our minds which say, I've got to stop 
I've got to stop just looking at my belly button. I've got to start looking out at the world in desperate need. In a nation in desperate need. In a community who need more than just physical things. They really need Jesus in these times. Second major um, thing that I can talk about is uh, that outreach flows from a realization that we have something of tremendous worth to give. You know, I often feel that people think that sharing the gospel should is something that they're almost a little bit ashamed of, you know, like they're, like they're part of a cult that they're coming along with a little secret handshake saying, come and join me. Anybody, anybody watching? No. We are the people who have incredible worth to give to the people who don't know Jesus. Just consider it. We know Jesus, do we not? And we know the way of salvation. If there's only one people on this earth who can actually say to folk, this is Jesus. And this is how he can become your savior. Nobody else can do that. Is that not of incredible worth? Secondly, we have good news to tell in, in a world of terrible news. Jesus came in his own declaration. He said, I've come to declare not judgment, but the day of blessing. The Christian message is not a message of judgment. The Christian message is, a, is good news. That God really cares about you. And there is a way to him. And I can show you that way. Thirdly, we have hope and light and life. We have. We've got the hope of life. We've got the light of life. And the world is dark. Terribly dark right now. Who else can hold up the light and say, come. Come to the one who is the source of this light. We also have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean plugging into the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm talking about those who are born again of the Spirit of God are able to come to Him and say, please, Holy Spirit, empower me like you have done generation after generation so that we can go out. We can be an empowered people to do these things, not by might and not by strength, but by His Spirit. And lastly, we have truth. In a world that is a flood, a wash with lie and falsity and deception, we know the truth. Look what we've got. Things of incredible worth to give. Why don't we give it? You know, it'll only multiply in us if we give it away. So we need to break out. And to break out, we need to change our orientation from inward to outward. And we need to realize what we have that we can give. But we also need to act. We actually need to put feet on these lovely thoughts and start to do as Jesus did. Come, he said, I must go to other towns. Come, walk with me. I'm going to other towns. For that is why I've come, to preach the gospel. Here's how we can do it. Just some simple suggestions. Start to reach out today. 
You can do it through Zoom. You can do it through the phone. If you've been jabbed once at least, you can at least go and actually see people and have coffee with them and, and whatever else you want to do. But there are ways that we can actually reach people and touch them and talk with them and encourage them and bring them hope and do all those things. Start today. Even if it's just phoning some folk. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah. Any way I can help you? And then start to talk. You'll be surprised that they might not say to you, oh, won't you tell me why it is that you are so full of hope? Great question. May I explain? You can join in what the church is doing as well. Within your capability, within your resource, you can join. We're talking about handing out warm things, beanies and blankets and so on. But it isn't the church building that just leaps up with a big pair of feet and rushes off to the needy. It's us. It isn't just the paid dudes who go to rush out in the cold. It's us. And again, within the boundaries of common sense and good safety practice, we can do it. We can play a part in that. If we can come and we can pack vans, if we've been jabbed, or we've had it and we're immune, we can get out and hand them out hand to hand, face to face. We can play some kind of a role. We're building a church campus that's nearly ready. We're doing another church plant. The first one we've done in this church for, whoa, what's it, eight years, nine years, ten years, quite a, quite a while. There's so many ways we can get involved. You don't necessarily have to go there and be a member. You can start praying for them. You can, when they start get go, getting going, you can take what is being rolled out and you can run with it. You can tell other people about it. You can distribute information about that. If you're a man, you can go along and join the prayer meeting and the, what's it, hot chocolate and rusks. When we, when we go and pray, we can do that. And lastly, you can decide right now well, over the course of the next week, what you intend to do to put legs to this word. But it's hard to do it alone. So you can pick up the phone, and you can phone through to any one of our elders. Now, I checked this with Adam first, because I didn't want to make the promise, and then it wasn't fulfilled. Yes, you have the assurance that if you speak to one of the elders, they will hear you. And here's the story. Hello, Johan. I've got this fabulous idea that we, the church, can get involved in. And I, you and I, me, I want to do it. Are there any other folk like that that you know of that you can put me together with? That I can have a greater strength and comradeship and today, together we can, we can work. What you don't do is you don't phone him up and say, Hey, Johan, I've got this great idea that you guys must do. Why doesn't the, why doesn't the church do the following? Because if you did, I hope my friend Johan here would say to you, to you, you are the church, sunshine. <laughs> they'll hear you. And they'll connect you. Pentecost signifies the reversal of Babel. The replacement of curse with blessing. The birth of the church. The advent of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in the world. And a new outward orientation for the people of God. And that's us. No wonder. Those disciples, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they didn't say, oh, this is wonderful. Let's have a Bible study about this. 
And they didn't gather around Peter and say, Peter, lead us in prayer. They just rushed out into the streets. And they could not help it. They were full of the Spirit of God. And they started to extol the glory of God. And then Peter, who was appointed as a preacher and teacher in the church, stepped forward and said, People, let me tell you what this means. And he preached the gospel. And 3,000 people were saved. And 3,000 people were baptized. And about a week later, another 2,000 were added. And now, there are excess of 2 billion. No wonder that those first disciples just went and did. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.